Welcome to Pop Avalon. This is episode 90, Buying Back 50% of Apple. I am Neil. Apple's share buyback program is getting interesting. One takeaway from Apple's earnings report last week had nothing directly to do with product. It wasn't related to the iPhone, the iPad, or even the Apple Watch. Instead, it had to do with the amount of cash that Apple spent buying back its shares during the holiday quarter. Management spent $11 billion on stock buyback. $5 billion was spent via open market purchases. $6 billion was spent with a new accelerated share repurchase program. And this got me thinking. Up to now, we know that Apple's share buyback program is large, and it's growing each year. And we know from Apple's financial filings, that this is a company that has steadily been repurchasing its shares. It's a very consistent repurchaser. But I think up to now, there really hasn't been much said as to where this is going. What is the end goal with buyback? Given the amount that Apple spent on buyback this holiday quarter, it got me thinking about some of the numbers. In my model, I began to look out a couple years. A path has appeared where Apple management can realistically buy back half of its shares within just three years. And this isn't a pipe dream. As we will see in this episode, the steps that Apple would need to take to get to this point, they're realistic. They're actually doable. There's a few things that I want to cover in this episode. We'll begin with a little bit on just the background with share buyback. And then we'll go over, we'll spend most of the time talking about the steps that Apple would need to take in order to purchase 50% of its shares. I think it's very important that we talk about the risk factors behind this because there are a couple things that need to go in Apple's favor. And then we'll take a step back and we'll look at what I really think is going on here in terms of buyback, Wall Street, and the relationship between Apple and Wall Street. In terms of share buyback, We did discuss some of the basics behind buyback in episode 41, Apple's record stock buyback. So if you haven't listened to that episode and you do want a little bit more information about buyback, I would recommend episode 41. In addition, I previously published an Apple stock buyback primer, which goes into detail about Apple's buyback. My overall thoughts, that was previously sent to above Avalon members. I'll talk a little bit more about that at the end of the episode. But in today's episode, I actually want to spend a little bit more time just talking about some of the basics behind buyback, and more importantly, addressing some of the myths that I've been hearing concerning Apple's stock buyback program, because I think a couple of these have gone way out of hand. Simply put, share buyback is the opposite mechanism of an IPO or a secondary offering. So we see Snap, running towards an IPO, what Snap's doing is selling shares in order to raise cash. Well, with buyback, it's the opposite. So we have a company taking excess cash, or what we would hope is excess cash, and using it to buy back shares from investors. In Apple's case, those shares are retired, which means they're removed from the market. So that's a lower share count as a result. We will cover this in a few minutes, but if you look at Apple's outstanding shares, it's been declining in recent years. 
So why do companies buy back their stock in the first place? What's the point? There's a few reasons. The first one, which I think is the most important, it's a great signaling effect. Management teams use buyback to signal to Wall Street confidence in future prospects. So if there's doubt about a company, a management team could announce a buyback, tell Wall Street we're going to use cash to buy back our shares because we think the future is so bright. Share buyback is also a way for management teams to tell Wall Street, we think our stock is undervalued. We are so convinced we are willing to take cash and buy those shares. Now, when I was a sell-side analyst on Wall Street, I would see this quite a bit. Management teams, usually ones who weren't performing too well, they would announce buyback programs, and it would say something along the lines of, we are confident in our future, we think this is a great use of shareholder cash. Really, what they were trying to do was tell Wall Street investors, analysts, really anyone who was willing to listen, that things look bright, and they're confident things are going to improve. Very often, especially for companies who weren't performing well, Wall Street will look right through it. And they would say, you shouldn't be buying back your stock right now. You should be investing in the business. You should be retaining cash, trying to raise dry powder when conditions improved in the future. But you did have some instances where a company would announce a buyback. Wall Street would like it, send the stock price up. Management teams would think this has worked. We don't really actually need to buy back stock after all. And they wouldn't buy back their stock. They would have all of this stock buyback authorization from the board. They'll never use it. They'll just sit on their cash anyways. That's very common on Wall Street. Apple, by the way, is doing the exact opposite. Another reason that companies buy back their stock is it's great balance sheet optimization. This is a little bit of an abstract topic, but there is such a thing as holding too much cash on the balance sheet. A company like Apple, you really can't just say, we're going to hold on to all of our cash, watch it go up, it's going to hit $400 billion. That's fine. It, it, it's not bothering us. It just doesn't work on Wall Street. One reason is very often investors won't properly value that cash, especially if it becomes a larger part of the balance sheet. However, there's another aspect of this. If a company is issuing low-cost debt to raise cash and then turning around and using that cash to buy back stock, the company can actually lower its overall cost of capital. That is a value creation activity. That's a good thing for companies. So that is part of a company's balance sheet optimization strategy. It doesn't sound that exciting, but for a CFO, for the finance team, it's a very important part of being a public company with investors. Turning to a few myths around buyback. The first thing is share buyback, it's not created equally. What that means is there is such a thing as buyback not making sense for some companies, but making plenty of sense for different companies. So there may be different industry dynamics, certain company-specific issues that would make buyback a very poor choice of cash use for one company. Meanwhile, a company like Apple, it could be a very different situation. What I often see happen is people just lump share buyback all together. They think it's equal. They think it's the same. And then they just say it's a waste of shareholder cash. 
That's one reason why I think share buyback. It's gotten a bad rap on Wall Street in recent years because companies who really shouldn't be buying back their stock, they're the ones who are announcing these buyback programs. And that tends to overshadow all of the examples where buyback, it's actually a good use of excess cash. Another myth about buyback is that it creates value for shareholders. In reality, it doesn't. Share buybacks don't create shareholder value. What's going on during buyback is existing shareholders are getting a greater share of the balance sheet. How is that happening? Well, if a company's buying back shares, they're taking those shares and retiring them. So that means if you're an existing shareholder, your ownership stake, it goes up. You're not selling your shares to Apple. You're holding on to them. So just by simply doing nothing, your ownership stake increases. The thing is, the company's using cash to buy back those shares. Their balance sheet is getting smaller. So as a shareholder, you're getting a greater share of a smaller balance sheet. There is no fundamental value being created here. In addition, buyback, it doesn't have any direct impact on how a company performs. Apple buying back its shares is not going to all of a sudden help improve iPhone sales. It doesn't improve the fundamental performance of the company. I like to think of it as buyback does not improve the capability of a company to use assets to generate future cash flows. There is one example or one way that this doesn't apply. And that is a company uses share buyback to reduce the cost of capital. We just talked about this a couple minutes ago. In that instance, you do have value creation because when the cost of capital goes down, you could have a company actually increase its value that way. I think one reason why a lot of people think share buyback creates shareholder value is because if you're an existing shareholder and your ownership of that company goes up, you get access to additional earnings. EPS rises. Again, it makes sense. Share count goes down. Earnings at an absolute basis stay the same. That means EPS, earnings per share, go up. But that's not creating shareholder value. You're just simply getting a greater share of earnings. The third myth is that Apple is using buyback to secretly go private. You see this a lot. Is management trying to do something sneaky? It's been circulating for years, and it's not true. What's going on here is that as Apple buys back its shares, management's not holding on to them. The company's not holding on to them. They're being retired. They're being removed from circulation. So over the past four years, Apple has spent $144 billion on buyback. However, the company is nowhere closer to being able to go private. This excludes or this ignores the actual aspect of who would actually be buying Apple. Would it be a third party? Would it be private equity? We're not going to get into that, but... Needless to say, Apple is not using buyback to go private. At this point, I want to turn to some of the numbers. So since kicking off its buyback program in 2012, Apple management has repurchased 20% of Apple's outstanding shares. So the share count peaked 
in the fourth quarter 2012 at 6.6 billion shares. At the end of the first quarter, the share count was 5.3 billion. I did want to point out over at aboveavalon.com, I do have an article that goes over this, and there are a few exhibits that you can take a look and see exactly what has been going on in recent years. Knowing that Apple's share count has declined by 20% due to buyback, that tells us something very important here. Apple's actually buying back its shares, and they're doing so aggressively. This is not like other situations where companies announce a very big buyback program, but then just sit on its cash. They're not interested in actually buying back their shares. Instead, Apple has been a very reliable and consistent repurchaser of its stock. This is extremely important for our discussion because what we're going to talk about is not just about how a company can repurchase 50% of its shares. We need to know that the management team is willing to do that, has the motivation to actually repurchase 50% of the stock. With Apple, I think we have that motivation. And the thing that's even more remarkable is that as Apple's stock price increases, management, it's not that they slow down the buyback. Instead, they actually spend even more money on buyback. So this is a company who I think they really do fundamentally believe that their stock is undervalued and that if they have excess cash available, they're going to use it. They're not going to try to time the market. You see a lot of companies do this, where if the stock goes up one quarter, they dial back the buyback. They don't want to buy back their shares because they could have got it at a lower price a few months ago. Apple is not thinking like that. Instead, they look at their shares as undervalued at $130 per share or $90 per share. Instead, their pace is determined by how much cash is actually available for buyback. So how can Apple management realistically purchase 50% of itself in three years? What's the path? Well, the first thing to consider is with 20% of shares already repurchased, Apple management needs to repurchase an additional 30% of shares. So the first step is that Apple management simply needs to continue doing what they've been doing. You have a company who is funneling 30 to $35 billion of excess cash into share buyback every year. If Apple simply does that in fiscal year 17, 18, and 19, no major change at all, we're talking about a company that can buy back an additional 16% of outstanding shares by the end of 2019. If you look at it from the peak of 6.6 billion shares outstanding, it would bring the total down to 4.5 billion shares outstanding. That's a total of a 32% reduction from the peak. Is this realistic? I think it is. And the reason is, if you look at Apple's business, we have the iPhone. It's displaying a new level of consistency. That was one takeaway from Apple's earnings report last week. We don't have a situation where the iPhone business is collapsing. It's not going down 25% a year. Instead, some quarters it may go up a little bit, some quarters it may go down a little bit. The iPhone 8 may boost sales a little bit, maybe it won't. The point is there's a level of consistency here, and that's very important if Apple wants to continue buying back its stock. The other element, the services business. Apple told us that they expect to double the services business 
that's going to be helpful for generating cash flow, which we used for buyback. The thing to keep in mind about this first step, we're not even talking about Apple's foreign cash. We're just simply referring to Apple continuing to do what they've been doing. So that would mean rely on U.S. cash flow and debt issuance to fund its share buyback. So that gets us to 32% reduction in shares just by doing what they've been doing. Not too bad. How do you get the rest? It involves the foreign cash. Apple currently has $230 billion of cash held in foreign subsidiaries. In order to repurchase 50% of itself in three years, it's going to need a portion of that available. So what that means is that Apple will need to bring that cash back to the U.S. That would require Washington. If Washington passes corporate tax reform and that foreign cash is taxed at a rate of 15% or lower, I think that's where Apple would say, okay, we will bring back most of this. I think it's going to be the vast majority of that $230 billion. It may be all of it. They need it in the U.S. in order to repurchase its stock. One thing to keep in mind, Apple has been maintaining a deferred tax liability related to those foreign earnings. It stands at $27 billion. What management has been doing is accruing U.S. taxes for those foreign earnings. What that means is that when Apple reports earnings, they report one tax rate. In reality, they're not paying that same tax rate. They're paying a lower rate via cash. So if you look at it as how much is Apple actually paying in taxes through cash payments, it's not the stated rate. It's lower. Instead, what they've been doing is putting some of that into the deferred tax liability. This is going to make it possible for Apple to bring back its foreign cash and not have a huge hit to earnings per share. You're not going to see a huge $27 billion tax bill flow through one quarter. In reality, Apple may have actually over-budgeted cash. We're not going to get into the details of that. There's a lot of moving parts, but it's important to keep in mind, this is doable. Apple can bring back its cash. It has a deferred tax liability to pay some of that tax payment. This is not much of a stretch. The wild card, of course, is Washington needs to pass corporate tax reform. So let's assume that Apple brought back its cash from foreign subsidiaries. This brings us to step number three. They actually have to use that cash for buyback. <laughs> they can't just sit on it. If we assume that Apple pays tax on foreign cash, I think it's a fair assumption to, to assume that. And we assume that this occurs at some point in 2017 or 2018. Apple will have at least $250 billion of cash, cash equivalents, and marketable securities on its balance sheet. That's a very important number to keep in mind, $250 billion. It could be more than that. It depends on when all of this is going to happen. If Washington is late with corporate tax reform and Apple simply generates all of this cash from iPhone sales and services, well, that $250 billion may be even higher. What Apple would need to do is take 60% of that $250 billion and put it into share buyback. That's $150 billion. If they do that, they can buy back 23% of outstanding shares. If we go back to that peak share count, 2012, before Apple started to buy back their shares, it was $6.6 billion. 
if they use $150 billion of foreign cash to buy back shares, they could get the share count down to 3.3 billion shares by the first quarter of 2020. That's three years away. And again, that's assuming that they still keep buying back their shares normally each quarter. So it's not just foreign cash. It's the addition of foreign cash to what they've already been doing. That gets us to a 50% reduction in shares outstanding. One question you may be asking is, how is this even possible? How can Apple take $150 billion of cash and just start buying back its shares? That would exceed the amount Apple has spent on share buyback to date. That's going all the way back to 2012. Here's my thought process on how this could work. Instead of doing this through open market transactions, and that's just going to a bank and telling them, well, we're willing to buy $150 billion of stock, so make it possible, make it happen. That's not going to happen. And the reason being is it would distort the market. You're simply going to have too much going on. Right now, Apple's spending about 5 to $10 billion a quarter on buyback. You can't just have Apple come in with $150 billion and start buying back their shares. In terms of an accelerated share repurchase program, I don't see any company able to do $150 billion for Apple. So that's not going to work either. One thing that Apple can do is something that's called a modified Dutch auction tender offer. Simply put, this is a way for Apple to buy back a lot of its shares in a very short amount of time. It's efficient. It's not going to cause the market to go crazy. So you're not going to have daily price fluctuations in Apple's stock price, depending on how many shares Apple is buying. If we assume Apple is successful in buying back $150 billion of its stock through this tender offer, the company would still have close to $100 billion of cash left over on the balance sheet. I don't want to make this seem like Apple brings back all of its foreign cash and then just puts it all in share repurchases. I don't think that's responsible, and I don't think that's what Apple will do. This is a company that still needs quite a bit in order to fund the business, focus on R&D, continue its M&A strategy, so it needs a cushion. And I think $100 billion, that's a pretty good-sized cushion. In addition, we have to remember that Apple would be generating close to $50 billion of cash each year. So even though Apple would certainly be depleting its cash levels by putting $150 billion of cash in its buyback, I think we have a situation where those cash levels could be replenished pretty quickly. The one wrinkle in this plan is the debt. So on a net cash basis, there's no question. If you spend $150 billion very quickly on share buyback, your net cash will go down quite a bit. Apple already has close to $100 billion of debt. That number is going to continue to rise until Apple can bring back its foreign cash. That's where timing comes into the discussion. Management could time all of this a little bit better in order to make sure that the net cash level doesn't fall too low. But I think the big point of this is that Apple can actually buy back $150 billion of its stock. It is not impossible. It is not a pipe dream. And this goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning of the episode. The key factor in all of this is that Apple management needs to be willing to do this. They need to have the motivation to do this. And I think with this management team, we have that. I think they have shown a desire that if they have the cash available for buyback and the shares are still undervalued in their opinion, they're going to take that opportunity. 
This brings us to the risk factors in this plan, because there are a couple things that need to go in Apple's favor for this to actually happen. The first thing is Apple's business needs to do well. If the iPhone business begins to turn negative, and we're talking about iPhone unit sales going down more than 10% year over year, you're going to have a situation where Apple's cash flows will begin to go down. They will begin to get constrained. That could impact share buyback. So in our discussion, we are assuming that everything basically stays constant. iPhone sales go up or down a little bit. The services business does see growth. Any change in the negative regarding that could have an adverse impact on the buyback. In terms of corporate tax reform, if there are any strings attached to the cash that Apple brings back from Florida subsidiaries, that could have an adverse impact on Apple's ability to use that cash to buy back shares. So if Washington lowers the tax rate on foreign cash, but then says, well, you can't use this for capital management. It needs to be put towards building factories or hiring people. You could see how, well, that's a problem here. Apple won't have that cash available for buyback. There are things Apple can do to move money around and still be able to fund a certain amount of buyback. But I think the big picture is the path to 50% of shares outstanding being purchased, it's hurt if there's strings attached. The one thing is if Washington simply lowers the tax rate and doesn't actually get rid of it, I think the odds of strings being attached to that cash go down. I don't think Washington would say, Apple, you need to spend it like this, or that's it. You can't, you can't use it for anything else. And of course, we have to mention, you need corporate tax reform. If that doesn't happen, if Washington can't come to agreement, then Apple can't bring back its cash. It's that simple. Apple has said time and time again, unless the tax rate is lowered, they're going to keep that cash offshore. Tim Cook did sound confident. He thinks corporate tax reform is going to happen in 2017. We have to see. Apple management needs to have the proper board authorization. So this is a management team that each year you get a different type of authorization from Apple's board of directors. Very often management is in discussion with them trying to figure out what makes the most sense. However, of course, you do need the official buyback authorization. If you look at what has happened in the past, it's clear that something would need to change in order to allow such a significant amount of shares to be bought in a short amount of time. You don't see Apple's board giving them hundreds of billions of dollars of authorization for each year. I think one way this could happen is maybe the board grants management a larger and larger authorization, and they extend the timeline into fiscal year 18, 19, fiscal year 20. So by extending it out, you're actually adding flexibility. So the point is, the board needs to give management authorization. You can't just have Tim Cook and Luca go out and start buying shares without that authorization. And the last risk factor, which is probably the most important one, is a rising Apple share price. If Apple stock price goes up, it becomes that much more expensive for Apple to buy back its shares. So if we run with a very simple example, if Apple shares go up in price 10% in 2017, it's going to be 10% more expensive for Apple to buy back its shares in 2018. You can see how this becomes a problem if Apple's trying to buy back 50% of its shares. If the price keeps going up as they buy back shares, it's going to become harder and harder for them to reach 
Of course, if Apple stock goes down in price, the reverse happens. It actually becomes easier for Apple to repurchase 50% of its outstanding shares because for the same amount of buyback, you can get additional shares. This brings us to the big picture regarding this discussion. If we take a step back and kind of look at this from a higher level. Apple's iPhone and services businesses are throwing off more cash flow than management needs to run the business. So they're turning the lights on, pay salaries, invest in the future through R&D and M&A. All of that is taken care of with cash flows, and they still have a lot of excess. So you have a company who is pretty much generating hundreds of billions of dollars of excess cash. Very rare in Wall Street. The numbers are daunting. With Apple shares trading at $130, market cap right around $700 billion, Wall Street doesn't think Apple will spend $250 billion on buyback over the next three years to repurchase 50% of its shares. Wall Street thinks Apple is bluffing. Meanwhile, look at Apple management. Look at how they're buying back shares as fast as they can. This may produce a situation where Wall Street is actually willing to call out Apple on a bluff. They don't think Apple's going to repurchase those shares if it brings back its foreign cash. They either assume Apple will spend it on big M&A, just sit on it, do something else. In that situation, Apple's share price may not go up. It may stay around $130. And that would make it that much easier for Apple to actually accomplish what we're talking about and buy back 50% of its stock. It's a very weird dynamic, and you don't see this too often on Wall Street, where a company the size of Apple is generating so much excess cash, hundreds of billions of dollars. Meanwhile, the stock is currently trading at a discount to the S&P 500. Something doesn't add up. And I think in the coming years, this is going to become a very big issue. If Apple is successful in buying back 50% of its outstanding shares, that would mean that a shareholder, as of year-end 2012, would have seen their ownership stake in Apple double in just seven years by simply holding on to their shares. They didn't need to do anything. That is quite rare on Wall Street, and I think it just goes to show that investors are going to give Apple's capital management program, especially the buyback, quite a bit more attention in the coming years. That's going to do it for today's episode. As I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, if you want more information on share buyback, I recommend listening to episode 41, Apple's record stock buyback. In addition, I previously sent out an Apple stock buyback primer to above Avalon members. And so that goes into details on everything about buyback programs, how it includes clues, the two ways Apple buys back stock, disclosures regarding buyback, my overall view on Apple's buyback. So all of that was included in one daily update that I sent to above Avalon members. I'll also include a link to that in the show notes. Turning to some of the other Apple topics that have been focused on this past week, all of these were sent out in the daily updates to above Avalon members. I went over Apple's most recent 10Q, so I had a number of takeaways from that document. I also went over how I derive Apple Watch sales. There's been a lot of debate about how does one actually get Apple Watch sales from Apple's financials. I went through all the details. I went through my model. 
basically step-by-step -step as to how I derive Apple Watch sales each quarter. We also talked about the iPad, in which we see this issue come up from time to time, that the iPad sales troubles are related to a software issue. I don't agree with that. And so we went into that discussion in great detail as to why I don't think the iPad is necessarily suffering from a software problem, but instead, Apple is trying to find the iPad's place in an iPhone world. And we also went over GoPro's earnings, and we took a deep dive into Snap's IPO filing. Both of those companies continue to be interesting to look at from Apple's perspective. Snap is moving quickly into a direction that would compete more with Apple. GoPro, not necessarily an Apple competitor, but they're doing something that's really intriguing. As a reminder, GoPro recently hired a former Apple industrial designer. So I think GoPro is the company to keep an eye on. All of those topics were sent to above Avalon members in the daily update. This is a daily email that's focused exclusively about Apple. If you enjoy these podcast episodes and you like the weekly articles over at AboveAvalon.com, I think you would enjoy becoming an Above Avalon member and getting access to those daily updates. To become a member, just head on over to AboveAvalon.com and then go to the membership page. Sign up is very easy. For more information on all the previous daily updates, that's also available on AboveAvalon.com. Just go to the daily updates. You could see the whole archive. Once you become a member, you do have the ability to access the archive. Membership is $10 per month or $100 per year. Of course, if you enjoy the Above Avalon podcast, if you can leave a rating or review for this episode in iTunes, I would greatly appreciate it. And for Overcast listeners, if you can hit the little I button on this episode and then press recommend, that helps quite a bit. With that, I will conclude our episode about Apple's share buyback program. I will talk to you all next week. Bye.